Hello and welcome to First Things First from Mercado. Every month, Mercado CEO Rob Garrison explores the future of the supply chain and the impact of the first mile for thousands of importers around the world. Catch up and listen to the series on demand wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you enjoy this next episode. Hi, my name is Rob Garrison. I'm the CEO of Mercado. Welcome to the fifth edition of First Things First, where we introduce you to supply chain thought leaders from media, from industry, and from venture. Last month's guest was Mark Seal. Mark's the VP of sourcing for Emser Tile. And Mark and I discussed many of the challenges he had all throughout the pandemic, but more importantly, a lot of the innovations that he created to overcome those challenges. It was a great podcast. Mark uh, has done everything to keep the flow moving and continues to do that at uh, Emser Supply Chain. So I hope they can listen. It's really good podcast in terms of how to overcome some of these challenges. Today's guest I'm excited to announce is Debbie Ryan. Uh, Debbie's the Director of Procurement for Logic Source, and Logic Source helps your company increase profits through better buying. Debbie's had an incredible uh, career in the supply chain industry, and I know you'll enjoy hearing her story. So that's coming up. Uh, congratulations to Joaquin Mahomain for being the recipient of our episode four donation to the Let's Talk Supply Chain Diversity Pledge. Uh, we'll be donating 100 hours to this great cause again this month. And so uh, please, at that point, chime in. And um, any questions, we'd love to answer. We'd love to have your comments. And we'll pick one of you from the audience for the Let's Talk Supply Chain Diversity Pledge. Okay, so now let's dive into a segment that we call the fastest five. So today's hot topic is it's classic supply classic supply and demand, too much supply and not enough demand. That's a direct quote from the CEO of Macy's, Jeff Gannett, which leads me to my first article by Suzanne Kapner of the Wall Street Journal. Shout out to Suzanne. Her article talks about how many retailers, including, let's see, Walmart, Gap, Kohl's, Abercrombie, American Eagle, and Urban Outfitters are all sitting on too much inventory. And it looks like they're going to have to uh, increase the number of discounts to get rid of that inventory or and clear out the excess and or store the goods to sell at a more opportune time later down the road. The second article is by the Associated Press, and it focuses on much the same issues, but primarily related to Target. The headline says Target slashing prices to clear out inventory. It goes on to say Target is canceling orders from suppliers and is slashing prices further to clear out and massing inventory ahead of the critical fall and holiday seasons ahead. So let's talk for a minute about the five root causes of these massive, massive inventory misses from lots and lots of companies, not just retailers. Anybody who's importing really was facing these challenges this, this uh, season. One simple reason is that the cost of inventory has gone up due to inflation. So even if you have the same amount of goods, the cost of the inventory rose because inflation hit everybody who imports just like it did us as consumers. So the cost of their, their inventory on hand is more expensive than it was when they purchased it. Uh, second is a pronounced spending shift. And so, as we all know, we're kind of moving away from focusing on things that made us and our homes more comfortable. We spent a lot of time at home, so we were focused on purchasing things like joggers, sweatsuits, uh, gas grills, big TVs, anything that made our lives more comfortable as we stayed at home during the pandemic. Now that we've moved into endemic territory, people are spending their money more on services. They want to get out of the house, and so they're spending money on things like travel, and leisure and entertainment, like uh, even going to the movies, but particularly dinner is a big category. Uh, the third thing is a decrease in spending due to an increase in the cost of non-discretionary items like groceries. So this one in particular caught a lot of retailers by surprise. 
because of the speed. We had been kind of told initially that this might be transitory and initially that it might not be that bad. And of course, inflation is going through the roof. And so now everybody that had disposable incomes is having to spend more of that disposable income on non-discretionary goods like groceries. So that's the third reason. And then the fourth is less stimulus. Most of the government stimulus has expired, meaning less available disposable income. And then the last one is that we're all super familiar with, which is the unpredictability of the supply chain. So when you're trying to forecast your inventory from six months ago for what's going to happen today, uh, you're doing your best to plan it. But when something comes up like an unexpected port delay or certainly a factory shutting down or even a whole region shutting down like Shanghai, your inventory could arrive much earlier than you anticipated because you planned more and it, you didn't have all the delays, or it could arrive much later than you anticipated because you had more delays than you expected. So those are the five root causes uh, leading to all these inventory misses. And by most of these uh, forecasts, they're talking about it taking at least another quarter, possibly two, to get it course corrected. Want to improve your supplier's social, regulatory, and supply chain compliance? Look no further. Verify, educate, and inform suppliers on your latest compliance standards and goals and regain the confidence you need to ensure business success. First Things First listeners can get exclusive free access to Mercado Plan when they sign up today. Find out more at mercadolabs.com forward slash plan. Okay, so now I'd love to welcome Debbie Ryan to the podcast. Debbie, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob, how are you? I'm doing great. So Good. Debbie, uh, listen, you've had, as I mentioned in my opening, an amazing career. I've, I've got to see some of it firsthand. We, Debbie and I worked together at uh, APL and Kmart, for example. But I'd love to have you kind of share with the audience, Debbie, your background and kind of how you made it through this uh, crazy journey that you've been on. Sure. Yeah. Um, as I think, you know, I started out uh, my career on the transportation services provider side of the uh, industry, um, initially in LTO uh, as a trainee with Big R. Uh, I did not and, know that, actually. You did not know that? No, yes. I did not know that. Yep. Uh, uh, trainee, trainee for Big R and then a, a line hall dispatcher uh, and then uh, uh, sales rep. So worked at a bunch of terminals, ended up in California, uh, met some APL liner folks and <laughs> uh, joined the APL liner team in Southern California. I remember the um, uh, the C10s had just come out and uh, importing was really starting to take off. So I worked both at Liner and then at um, ACS, APL Logistics, their overseas 3PL. So and then uh, after that time immersed on the on the service provider side of the business, I sort of uh, jumped over to the service to the shipper uh, side of the desk. Uh, and I worked mostly in retailing, wide variety of retailers. So uh, specialty retailers like Warner Brothers Studio Stores and Asina Retail, big box like Kmart, uh, and even off pricers like uh, Filings Basement, which I miss dearly, and uh, Value, City. <laughs> <laughs> and Value City Department Stores. So um, more recently, I uh, tried out manufacturing over at, uh, over at Abbott, and most recently have decided to kind of leverage my experience uh, working with a procurement consultant. So it's been a journey. 
Yeah, so I wasn't kidding. That is an amazing journey through the supply chain. So you've seen lots of things and, and maybe you could share with the audience, if you look at all of that background, maybe all the way from the beginning to when you were interning at an LTL company, all the way to fast forward to Abbott and what you're doing today, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face in your career when you think about the entirety of dealing in the supply chain industry? Yeah, and you know there are there are so many, and and over time they have they have they have changed constantly. But you know I kind of I guess I kind of bucket them a couple of different ways. So one, there's the external challenges that you that you face, like market forces. You know, just as you were talking about supply and demand of ocean slots, right? You know, it takes it takes about three years to build a steamship. A lot could change in the market in that time. You could be <laughs> flooded with ocean slots or you could be, you know, wanting, um, you know, just the availability of air air charters, uh, uh, truckloads and driver situations, um, labor situations, right? I think we have, we all have tattoos of ILWU contract years. ours. <laughs> 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 right. But but then, you know, other external challenges like weather, the uh, tsunami or who could forget the volcano in Iceland that oh, I, forgot, I forgot about that. Yeah. Right. It just stymied air tra air uh, freight for weeks, um, you know, and just just the normal uh, stuff like typhoons and hurricanes and stuff. Um, but uh, also regulation. Another uh, another external challenges. Um Many of us have fond memories of the old shipping conferences, <laughs> but yeah. deregulation happens. Um, so, but but then there's also the internal challenges too that you face with your, um, uh, you know, with your importer. Like um, the one thing that's uh, dramatically impacted uh, retail apparel has been the speed to market, fast fashion trend. Um, you know, which brought about a lot of. Um, changes in uh, sourcing locations, right? Uh, you know, just from from North Asia, all through South Asia, West Asia. Um, and it seemed like, you know, those sourcing changes would happen. And then the infrastructure in those places would catch up a few years later, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, then they, and then they switch again to the next country, right? Yeah. And then they switch again to the next country, right? Just, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking of, remember what Hong Kong was like before Yantian was a, was a big port? Like, I do. you know, way back in the early 90s and the long lines of uh, of trucks waiting to get across so um you know but kind of kind of chasing those uh those sourcing locations um uh, you know and then just customer customer demand right and the product line that the retailer um is planning on selling i remember a time at um warner brothers studio stores one year, the the big product was these great big giant pillows for kids to sit on with a with like a Bugs Bunny or whatever. So vol very volumetric cargo, right? We, yeah. <laughs> we signed a big contract, and the next year, the uh, the hot item was Pokemon cards. <laughs> <laughs> Teeny tiny right? cards, yeah. <laughs> so so we went from you know twelve hundred Fs down to you know like five hundred or something, and it, just because of the change in the you know, and as a, a, in transportation and logistics, you kind of have to stay ahead of that uh, as much as you can. Um, well, that's going to lead me to my next two questions. So it's amazing to hear, you know, you reminded me of lots of stories in terms of the challenges. So that's one thing I think we liked about it. But I want to start with how did you deal with all those challenges? Was it just experience that got you through that? Or did you have tools or was it mentors? I, you know, just for the people who are starting out their journey, 
I don't think the supply chain has changed that much. It's still wild and unpredictable. How do you yeah. learn this business? How do you deal with all these challenges? Because obviously you've successfully navigated that for, for many, many years. Yeah, I, I think it helps to be a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, <laughs> you know, and and just and just be inspired and motivated and, you know, want to get up and come to work every day by uh, by all of the constant changes. But, um, you know, you really have to have to talk to people and and dive in and um, and learn the stuff to whatever extent you can. And, you know, transportation logistics is unique in a, in a company it kind of sits in the middle of a whole lot of things, right? So you've got your, you know, merchandise planning and allocation, you've got designer design and sourcing and things like that. You've got finance, distribution, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and to whatever extent you can uh, reach out and and partner with all of those groups, or, you know, I love to see um, kind of cross-pollination, you know, uh, hey, you know, hire somebody from the shipping department to come and be a transportation analyst and, you know, kind of um, share those, uh, build, build relationships cross-functionally uh, and, just, and just learn from each other. Um, but I have to say, this is an incredibly generous industry too, um, that we, you know, we share freely, you know, think of all of the conferences. I can think of five people right now. I could, I could call and say, Hey, if, if I needed to, to store a hundred trailers in bond in Southern California, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody's uh, five degrees of separation for sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And then what about things you didn't like in the industry? I mean, there's been, to your point, it's really exciting. It's very diverse. It's great for adrenaline junkies. How about the flip side? Is there anything that you dislike about the supply chain industry? Anything you'd like to see different? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, you, you always want to think that you can, you can nudge nudge things along, that there's, there's certain things that you can, that you can change. I, and I guess the things that um, the things that are difficult are, you know, just these um, chronic problems that nobody seems to be able to uh, to get their hands around. Like, um, uh, you know, I'm thinking of uh, uh, the chassis situation and 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 uh, getting things quickly in and out of the piers and things like that. That just seem to be chronic problems year after year. It's just it's more of a frustration that that you know we can't all put our heads together and solve. Uh, that kind of problem, um, you know, and, and we always wish we had uh, earlier notice about things, things going on. And, you know, you know, we've always joked, we're the last ones to know that somebody started sourcing in Cambodia, right? Yeah, that's right. What do they say? What something rolls downhill. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just a, a booking pops up and you're like, oh, that's, that's cool. When you think, Debbie, about all the different things you've done, as you mentioned, you've kind of been on the domestic for a short time. You've been on the carrier side. You've worked for retailers. you worked for manufacturers. Which one of those did you find the most rewarding? Or did you like all of them for different reasons? I'm just kind of curious. When you look at that diversity of your experience, was there one thing that really stood out as I loved being in retail, for example, or I loved being in manufacturing? Um, you know, I would say not not an industry per se, but uh, an, an atmosphere. I think um, when I was at Asina Retail, the company was uh, growing by acquisition. So every couple of years, there were these uh, there was a project to incorporate some new brands, 
And it was it was an opportunity to do um, network optimization studies. It was a prop, uh, an opportunity to you know rethink all of your uh, contracts, ocean, parcel, everything. Um, you know, just an an opportunity to to kind of you know a little bit start from scratch and draw and draw your perfect network or your per perfect operation, um, kind of from the ground up. And uh, I. Personally, that's I just I just found that very engaging. That um, you know, every every few years there was there was an opportunity to kind of rethink your uh, your network in its entirety and maybe do some things that you didn't have the scale to do before. Or uh, the new acquisition has a uh, distribution center in Maryland. Oh, what can we do with that? You know, um, just Deb, you do realize it sounds a little bit crazy that you like things changing constantly. Some people, <laughs> some people like them to stay the same. So it says a lot about your personality. And I recall that from uh, working together at Kmart yeah. for sure. That, that, no, no amount, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there couldn't have been too much whirlwind for you. So I'm going to I'm going to take you on a different path since you've done domestic and importing. There's there's a lot of talk about. You know, with all of the challenges that we've seen the last couple of years in the supply chain, uh, particularly in the import supply chain, there's a lot of talk about why is this stuff made offshore? I mean, this is the most basic question. Why don't we make it here in the United States? Uh, you just most recently worked for Abbott, obviously a large manufacturer in the United States. What, what are your thoughts on that? Or do you have any thoughts on that in terms of uh, whether you think production will start to come back either near shore or onshore? Because all I've ever known, and I think yeah. all you've ever known, is that most of the stuff that we consume has been manufactured offshore. So it would be a really significant change. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, broadly, I don't see things uh, massively, you know, uh, coming back to the United States for manufacturing. I mean, you just have to look at the profit margins, you know, um, and you've seen them, you know, what you can manufacture for in uh, in Vietnam or China or places like that. And I can't I can't see a situation that would come about unless it was catastrophic where where people would say, you know, we're going to we're going to uh, set aside those profit margins and, uh, you know, make in the United States. Now, I do think that there may be some strategic shifts, right? I'm in Ohio. We just, uh, they just announced a giant new Intel plant on the east side of Columbus. So, you know, I can see things like um, those type of products where there's, there's a security strategy or something like that, um, you know, or something that we should be able to do you know, where our technology can be uh, better than something uh, that we import, for example, clean energy manufacturing, uh, wind turbines and, and solar panels and things like that. You know, but I, I don't see things like socks coming out. <laughs> you know, I just thought of socks, but I, I don't see things like that coming back because it's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's almost economics- 101 right things will seek the lowest cost of production so um and and the costs are so much lower now if those if those costs come up dramatically and you know there's there's a little bit more of a of a level playing field but i think it's really all about the the problem well, i'll market. share another controversial thought and maybe just get your opinion on this i used to guest lecture at smu and i would always get one question about this you know why sourcing in China or all these controversial things. And I used to keep a picture in my presentation and it was a bunch of people working over sewing machines, but it was from New York mm. in 1930. Yeah. I always, I always kind of wonder too, if, if we haven't progressed 
up the manufacturing ladder to where it's, yeah, to where we want to be creating things in this country that are either important to security, which as you mentioned, or a high value where we can pay people really great wages and work in a really safe environment. So how do you think about that? Do you think that's another sort of reason for, you know, uh, Adam Smith said, you know, don't make for your family what you can have made cheaper by others. So sort of as a global economy today, maybe we look at, at the United States as we stay on the high end of the manufacturing scale where we can have the safest, cleanest, uh, most uh, high paying jobs. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I would agree with that. And I think, I think we pick and choose. I mean, there may be what, uh, there may be a reason for, for making in America that could, that could be your niche, right? Yeah. All of our clothes, all of our suits, all of our dresses made in America. That's a, that's a marketing angle. Um, or it could be a creativity angle. You know, we know how to create for the American market better than, uh, anyone anywhere else. And, um, you know, I can see some distinct, unique situations uh, where that could uh, that would work. Sure. So you don't see a massive shift, but maybe for certain industries, certain things, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and and I think certain, and it's got to be a, a strategic reason, like a like a marketing angle or like a a um, a security reason or something like that. Um, you know that that it would that it would come here. So last question, um, as we close out here, if you were starting out in the supply chain industry today, like today was going to be your just out of college, ready to go in the supply chain industry, and or you're advising somebody considering supply chain, how would you counsel them? Or what would you think about? Would there be anything you did differently and or something you'd recommend differently to somebody just starting out? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't have said that to young me starting out my career, but I would certainly <laughs> say it to, to people in school right now, hone your analytical chops because supply chain really runs mm. on data and analytics. I mean, you know, things are, are, you know, micro timed and, and synchronized and things like that. And, uh, it, it really runs on data and analytics. And, um, you know, the, the more um, skilled you are uh, at doing those kind of things, those are great entry points into, uh, into finance or transportation analytics, distribution analytics, uh, planning, things like that. Um, you know, really uh, have those things in your, uh, in your backpack. And then um, also, you know, try and resist getting pigeonholed, <laughs> be, a, be a hopper. So, you know, I, I was saying earlier that, that supply chain sits at, at the center of so many different functions. So the more you know about those, the better you can, the better you can be. So, you know, if you've done, if you've been a couple of years as a uh, assistant in merchandise planning and allocation, you know, see if there's a uh, you know, there's there's a lot of transferable skills from that type of role to a transportation analyst role, right? Uh, distribution wave planner or something like that. There, there are definitely transferable skills there. Um, you know, break into break into supply chain or transportation finance. Um, you know, be great to to do a little tour in uh, compliance and trade, right? Um, get to know fulfillment, and I and I think if you can, you know kind of um, plot out a, a, a career moving through these different disciplines, I think you will, um, you know, and along the way, you may find it, you may find that, hey, I'm sticking with uh, trade compliance because, 
you know, th this is where I really found a home. First Things First is aired live every second Tuesday of the month to a live audience across the Mercado Lab social channels. Want to take part in the live conversation and share your comments and thoughts? Follow Mercado Labs on LinkedIn and head over to mercadolabs.com forward slash the lab to find out more. Why do you think it requires so many more analytics? Would you say that that has to do with the shift to e-commerce, just that the supply chain itself has gotten incredibly more complicated? You know, it used to be you yeah. offloaded in a container and you moved it into a big distribution center to go to a big pool distributor to go to a store. And yeah. now it can go anywhere, anytime. Yeah. Do you think that's the biggest change that's causing the need for all that much deeper analysis than we've done in the past. Yeah, and actually, you know, I, I think a lot of the a lot of the low hanging fruit is all gone, 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 and now oh, that's true too, right? And, and yeah. if you you know you're going to find things that'll save you half a penny a unit or something like that, and it's going to I think it it just requires uh, that you know deeper analytics, um, you know, and you're always looking for options, always looking for risk assessment, things like that. And I think that requires a lot of uh, the, the analytics piece too. So, Yeah, I love your recommendation about diversity too. I think that's one of the things that I've seen as a challenge is people do tend to get pigeonholed in their space and then it's very difficult for them to see the broader picture. So I think that was excellent advice as well. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm getting the uh, I'm getting the high sign here, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, our time here has ended. I want to thank you though before we go because um, Debbie threatened me that she was going to tell some stories about us in our younger earlier career days, and so fortunately she didn't whip any of those stories out for another podcast. Maybe we can talk about yeah. how things how things used to be. Um, just before we let you go, we've got one one question, Debbie, that was related to possibly sourcing shifts. And I, I mentioned I spoke a lot about domestic, but I also meant nearshoring. And so there's a question here about South America. Do you have any background in that, or how do you think about that as a sourcing location? You know, I have never understood why uh, we couldn't. You know, we we couldn't get some folks into, uh, especially Central America. I remember. Um, Gosh, it was probably 10 years ago. I remember some, um, I want to say Korean factories going into Guatemala and places like that. And, sure. you know, with, um, you know, with the, with the cost of ocean transportation being so high now, you know, I mean, uh, the, the, I think this is sad to say, I think the only enemy of development in Central America is, you know, what if those ocean containers come down to 1100 bucks again from Asia to the West coast and, um, you know, but I've I've never understood why we don't get more uh, development in, in in Central America. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. So, and I'm with you. The only thing I could think of, Debbie, for Central and South America, in terms of what I've seen, is when when you and I watched sort of China come up, they didn't just invest in importing; they invested the infrastructure to go with it. They're very very efficient, and so that's another yeah. thing I just think for consideration is how efficient are things in Central and South America? Could they keep up with the efficiency? particularly in China. That's another consideration, I guess. Yeah, that's that's true. I know. I remember on my last job looking for uh, uh, northbound uh, routes for product from Mexico, and we were looking at ocean because truck was so challenging. Yeah. But, um, you know, but was the infrastructure there to support it? Yeah. That's it. Okay. Well, Debbie, thank you very much. It was great, great, great to catch up with you again. You too. And we'll talk soon.
In a world where new content is created every second, it can be tricky to find what you're looking for. The Lab is a resource platform designed by importers for importers, packed full of content to help you learn and grow your supply chain operations. Access articles, videos, and webinars on demand and listen to the latest episodes from the hottest supply chain podcasts around. Start your journey at mercadolabs.com forward slash the lab. Uh, so that was great. Hopefully everybody enjoyed uh, hearing from and learning from Debbie. She's an amazing, amazing person. So I'm going to close the show talking about some of the stuff that I see on a broader scale that I covered at the beginning when we talked about some of the challenges that people are having keeping up with inventory. I'm going to zoom the lens out. So, um, Nicole, if you could put up the first slide here, I just want to quickly go through some of my thoughts on, on, a, on a deeper scale or on a, on a wider scale. Some of the challenges that I see, and I like Debbie, I've been doing this a long time. I've been in the industry for, for 30 plus years now. And, you know, it's, I've, all of this is coming together for me over this long period of time and what I think is needed next. So when we look at the supply chain, the import supply chain, it's not widely understood. And sometimes I'm not sure why I've spent my whole career in it. So I know it pretty deeply, but it's a massive, massive industry. So the first thing I put up here was just some statistics for those of you who don't know. Uh, in the United States, we have about 225,000 imports who purchase about $2.1 trillion worth of goods from abroad each year. So that's just the U.S. Globally, uh, uh, trade across borders is about an $8 trillion industry. Europe's roughly the same size from an importation standpoint as the United States. So they also import about $2.1 trillion. And when you look at this, the piece to the right, um, there's, a, there's a massive disconnect between the size and the sophistication and the complexity of this industry and how it works today. So we've been calling it a supply chain, but I almost look at it as supply links. So what you see there in gray, these are the critical activities that have to occur in synchronization to make a supply chain work from planning your imports to purchasing your product and moving your product. And right now they're kind of disconnected and mostly analog. And I'm going to talk about those two things in just a second here. But if you look on the right, um, that, that transformation has occurred on what I call the final mile which is the point in pink there. Retailers have done a great job connecting their domestic networks to their consumers, making it available to purchase you know, 24-7, dropped at your door, pick up in store, buy online, pick up in store. All those configurations uh, that we used to call omnichannel have occurred. So that one link in the supply chain is highly digital, highly connected. But the first mile, which is where the products come from, is highly disconnected. So, Nicole, if you go to the next slide, I'll just um, kind of talk about these two pieces in a little bit more detail. So when we talk about what's disconnected and I talk about a complex import supply chain, this is what it looks like. On average, it takes imports about seven months to go from planning stage, about a month in that process, all the way through manufacturing. That takes about four months, importation clearance. So this is from purchase order plan to DC delivered is about seven months. And if you look in those first two columns, there's lots of different folks that have to come together, lots of entities. I list a few of them there, and there's lots of departments that need to connect to make that happen. So the first thing is sort of this uh, disconnected network. And then if you go to the next slide, please. This, the last thing I'll highlight here in the 30 seconds or 60 seconds I've got left is the technology landscape. This is the other big disconnect. Most importers have really good systems to plan their orders you see those on the left-hand side. They've got the manned planning system. They use their ERP, and they've got really good systems to fulfill their orders, as we saw in that, that red uh, pink oval at the beginning slide. But 
they don't have any systems to manage the middle piece, the execution of those orders. That seven months is still largely done via Excel and email. So in my estimation, the next big opportunity supply chain is for people to uh, digitize their supply chains and to connect their supply chains. When we do those things, it'll be much easier for us to contend with all these crazy challenges that we've been talking about and seeing throughout the market. So more to come on this, but uh, thank you very much for your time. And we'll talk to you next month on the next episode of First Things First. First Things First is a production of Mercado Labs hosted by Rob Garrison. It is produced by Kaylee Hansen and Jazz Newberry and is created in partnership with Let's Talk Supply Chain. Voiceover by Courtney Shane. Our executive producer is Simon Lodge. As always, a special thanks to our live guests and audience.